Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. We just celebrated the feast of St. Joseph the Worker, so on this episode, Bishop talks about the dignity of human labor. Then it's on to listener-submitted questions on discerning one's vocation, Mary's Immaculate Conception, and why there are two versions of the Glory Be. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, who is always gracious to share a slice of his time with us. Actually, it's a pretty big chunk. So thanks for being here, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to see you again. Good to see you. It's great to be the month of May. Yes. You know, um, they say April showers bring May flowers. And we'll see. Do you know what May flowers bring? No. Pilgrims. <laughs> the May flower. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it. Oh, where did you get that? That's good. Uh, probably on the back of a piece of candy or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have an opening prayer for us today? Well, we're still in the Easter season, That's so right. let's pray the Regina Chaley. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Hallelujah. The Son whom you merited to bear. Hallelujah. Has risen as he said. Hallelujah. Pray for us to God. Hallelujah. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Hallelujah. For the Lord has truly risen. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If people missed your Latin version of that, you can check last week's episode, the, the special share episode. You prayed that in Latin. Yes. And you know, when I was praying that, I had to... I know I, I'm used to singing it, uh -huh. <laughs> so it was hard to kind of like I had to sing it in my mind as I was saying it because yeah. I have it memorized, sung, not right. spoken. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a powerful thing being able to remember song lyrics sometimes that are much more complicated than a lot of yeah. written things that I I can't memorize. Yeah. Well, we have. Two St. Joseph feasts, we've talked about this in the past, two different feasts for St. Joseph. We celebrated on March 19th, the Solemnity of St. Joseph, Husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then this past Saturday, May 1st, was the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And this is, of course, the year of St. Joseph that Pope Francis declared. So I figured we should probably just keep talking about St. Joseph all year. But uh, maybe it focuses a little bit on what it means to be St. Joseph the Worker and uh, maybe how we can be mindful of workers and the dignity of workers. Yeah, I mean, it's a, this is a relatively recent feast on the church's calendar. It was established by Pope Pius XII in 1955. Okay. And the reason was May 1st was a day where it was celebrated in, in a lot of countries as May Day, kind of a celebration for workers, but it was sponsored by communists and socialists. Hmm. So, you know, there was a different vision about human work. <laughs> uh, and I think Pope Pius Twelfth wanted to Christianize it uh -huh. and kind of as a reminder of what is uh, the Christian view of work, of human work, human labor, the mm -hmm. dignity of work and the dignity of workers, as opposed to some of the ideas in Marxism, which includes uh, workers' revolt and even use of violence. So mm -hmm. this idea of class, conflict, and struggle. So 
really the the liturgical feast of St. Joseph the Worker highlights not just St. Joseph himself, but also it's an opportunity for us to communicate the church's teaching on, on human labor. And we have such a rich social teaching about work going back to Pope Leo XIII and his famous encyclical Rerum Novarum. But also popes through the centuries, I can remember Pope John Paul II wrote an encyclical, Laborum Exercens. It's a, a beautiful reflection on the meaning of work. And of course, Pope John Paul, really his ideas you know, help spark the Solidarność, the Solidarity Labor Movement in Poland, which eventually led to the end of, of communist rule in Poland. So... In the United States, we celebrate uh, Labor Day on the first Monday of September, but in a lot of these other countries of the world, their Labor Day is kind of like a worker's day is May 1st, which they call May Day. Okay. Uh, I, it was interesting. I, I celebrated the baccalaureate mass on May 1st this past Saturday for the University of St. Francis, hmm. and I, I thought it was a happy coincidence that their graduation was taking place on the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. Uh-huh. And I, you know, especially thinking about how they completed their academic work, they, they're getting their diploma, and then they're going out to find a job to to work. And I imagine a lot of the graduates already had a job lined up or were seeking employment. Maybe some of them were going on for graduate degrees, further academic work. But whatever they were doing, I wanted them to reflect on the meaning of work as part of their vocation from God. So again, the idea of taking this theme of St. Joseph the Worker, his example, and we know what kind of work St. Joseph did. He was a craftsman. He was a carpenter. Uh, The gospel for that day, for May 1st, has where Jesus, how the people in Nazareth, Nazareth were astounded by by Jesus's wisdom and his teaching and his miracles. And they questioned, like, how could he have such wisdom and power? Isn't he, and they said, isn't he the carpenter's son? Right. So that's how we know Joseph's occupation. He was an ordinary worker, a manual laborer, a craftsman, a carpenter. And I think it's significant that the son of God came into the world as the son of Mary and the son of this simple carpenter. Mm-hmm. And we know or we imagine Jesus would have worked in in his father's carpentry shop. He learned the trade of carpentry from his earthly father. But I, I said to the, the graduates that, you know, maybe they wouldn't be getting into manual labor, you know, like carpentry, but, you know, use your hands, work with their hands, even if you're doing a, a computer worker, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, obviously, Joseph worked with wood. He made furniture. So whatever the work is, I was saying, whatever the work that the graduates were going to have, it's good to see that it would have dignity and the importance of being industrious, to be hardworking, as mm-hmm. St. Joseph would have been. He worked with dedication and with skill, but he did his work for the glory of God and the support of the Holy Family. So there was a purpose, there was a meaning to his work. And so whatever work we do, and it could be the lowest or the most lowly kind of profession or work, but it can have great dignity if we do it for the glory of God and the good of others, starting with one's family. So I really encourage the graduates to remember that work is 
part of God's loving plan. It's a way for us to participate in his work of creation, really. And we have a duty to work. Now, obviously, in order to make a living, to provide for the family, but also to contribute to the common good. That's important. Um, hmm. It's also important to realize that work should not be seen as an end in itself. Our life is not for work. Our work should be for life. Mm. You know, and I think that's important because sometimes if we invert that, it, it creates problems. Um, or another temptation is to see work as just a way to accumulate wealth, a, a way to get rich mm -hmm. so that we can have more things and we can consume more things. And this is not uncommon. I mean, there's a culture uh, of materialism and consumerism. It's a cultural reality today. And you can easily get sucked into that. But we find that people whose lives are materialistic and all about consuming things, consumerism, their lives can be very empty, superficial. They don't really find peace or happiness in those things. So I said to the graduates, you know, to, to think about what's going to really bring them fulfillment and happiness. It's not going to be accumulating a lot of wealth mm -hmm. because one's life could be very empty. Mm -hmm. I tell a story about family friend of mine. It's a family that I, I, con I confirmed this, uh, this family's son when he was in eighth grade, and then he went on to university. And I, I don't know if I spoke about this on the program before. And he uh, was very bright and, you know, graduated with honors. And he got this right away, this real high paying job. Mm -hmm. His first year out of college, he was making $200,000. <laughs> Can you imagine? So I share this story yeah. with the graduates. I said, and, and in the second year, I think he was making like 300000 But you know what? His life was miserable. Hmm. Okay, so you can imagine, you know, what graduate would not want to get a job that they'd get that much money? Yeah. But everything suffered, his relationships, because what happened is the company, the finance company, you know, expected him to perform mm -hmm. so highly, worked more than 80 hours a week. Not only did he not have time for recreation or, or rest, he didn't have time for his girlfriend. He didn't have time for mm -hmm. his family. He didn't have time with his friends. So after two years of that, and imagine making all this money, he decided to quit his job. He had to think deeply. I mean, he also mm -hmm. found, you know, he didn't have time for prayer, mm -hmm. even struggled to get to mass on Sunday. You know, all those things that are so important in our life. And he realized, and he wasn't also physically, it wasn't good for him. Mm -hmm. So he realized, well, I don't want to live my life like this. And so he gave it up. He mm -hmm. quit. Now, some of his friends in that thought he was crazy. And I'm sure even some, some family members kind of sure. thought, why are you leaving the job? And he ended up helping find, found an, uh, start another company with some friends. It's a, really a Catholic company. They're doing well, but he has a much more balanced life. He was able to have quality time with his girlfriend. By the way, I, I celebrated their marriage uh -huh. um, let's see, about a year and a half ago. And he has time with friends now. He has a prayer life. He can get together with his parents and family life. So he learned to put the priorities, okay? And really work shouldn't be, and making money shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. Right. 
So I, I use that as an example in my homily to the graduates to encourage them to have the right priorities mm -hmm. in their life. You know, relationships should always come first. Relationship with God, relationship with the family. And we learned that from St. Joseph. I mean, his priorities were his relationship with God and with Mary, his mm -hmm. wife, and with, and with Jesus. The other thing about money, and, and that is, you know, what we do with it, you know, especially people who are wealthy, is to, you know, share, to be generous with the poor and needy. I always think about that parable of Jesus about that, uh, the foolishness of the rich man who stored up all his grain and all his goods for himself, and he mm -hmm. built larger barns to store it, to store all these things for himself. And Jesus tells us that his life was taken that very night. Mm -hmm. And and our Lord said, thus will it be for the one who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich in what matters to God. Hmm. So the higher goods of life, we should never lose sight of, not to be fo so focused on earthly treasures that pass away, or living a life of self-indulgence. We're called to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven by using our gifts for service of God and others and to be devoted to the common good, including the care of creation and mm -hmm. all these beautiful values that are part of our faith, these ideals that give our life meaning, that give our work meaning and really bring true happiness. Um, so the... Um, Example of St. Joseph is a great example for us, Joseph the worker. And uh, I think when we live like that and our work has its proper place in our life, it really reduces stress and worry and anxiety because we can have peace by trusting in the Lord and seeking first his kingdom above all these other things. And I think that balance is important. And we can probably all think of examples of people that we know that are on this the extremes, maybe ourselves <laughs> included, that either work too hard, that are constantly workaholics, you know, and this becomes almost a God in and of itself, right? That becomes more important than these other things like family and God, uh, or people that don't work hardly at all and really like, maybe you call it lazy and finding that balance in between of having a focus on the purpose of work and, and where it is in a hierarchy where would you say is maybe the when you've gone too far in one direction or another? If we're trying to evaluate our lives, like, okay, am I am I lazy or am I a workaholic? Or oh, so you want me to do uh, a, a confession on the radio station? No, I can tell you. I can tell you. No, I'm teasing. I uh, no, I can tell. I can be very blunt. I would be much more inclined to be a workaholic. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know that I've ever had to confess laziness. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing is the other. The opposite's my yeah. problem. You know, like I can get too too. I don't know. Too focused on work. But I think it depends on personality. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, we are supposed to be industrious. We should be using the talents God gave us. Uh, we should work hard. I mean, mm -hmm. work is a duty. We see that from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Mm. Um, so, and St. Paul also talks about that. I mean, he he uses that. Uh, he says at one point, 
he who does not work should not eat, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we have to be concerned about people who want to work and can't find a job mm-hmm. or, or can't find a job where they have enough money to provide for themselves and for their families. Or aren't able to work. Or aren't able to work, exactly. So those are obviously uh, exceptions. So I think we have to avoid both extremes. Mm -hmm. Now, you make a confession now, Kyle. Are you more inclined to laziness or overwork? Which would be more a temptation for you? Uh, Probably the overworking, especially when it comes to like making family time. You know, it's very easy for me to hop back on the computer and check emails or on the phone or something like that instead of being present to family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a constant struggle, especially when you enjoy your work. Yes. You know, I think yes. that makes it especially hard or if there's pressure from your work to be successful. And I've noticed a lot of people that I admire for the work that they do. They really are doing great work, whether it be, you know, podcasts that I really enjoy or whatever. I notice a lot of them that just really monopolizes their time. Whenever I kind of hear about their biographies or whatever, they were working just nonstop through that. I, I recently was watching a, a documentary on Bill Gates and how much of a workaholic he was and maybe mm-hmm. still is. And just, yeah, family was put on the side for success. And he was very successful. Yeah. And so sometimes we can compare ourselves to other people that are successful. And the only way we're going to do that is by neglecting our family and our faith sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to realize, okay, maybe I'm not going to be as successful as my coworker who doesn't have kids or you know, doesn't care about his family or whatever. You know, and realize being okay with that. Okay, maybe I'm not going to earn as much as, as he does or she does because I am going to put my family first and set some boundaries. And sometimes that can be hard, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was interesting how you talk. What I can relate to is uh, especially when you said about the pressures from your employer, Mm -hmm. you know, pressures to work. Like like the young adult I was talking about, I mean, he was definitely pressured. He had to highly perform in this finance company. But even in my life, I mean, I don't have an employer, so to speak, other than God and the Pope, <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess the diocese. Those are pretty important yeah. <laughs> bosses, though. <laughs> but, you know, there are pressures. Like, for example, you know, we always need to make time for prayer. And mm-hmm. we should make time, like you said, for your family or in my situation. Yeah, my family my and friends. But sometimes I find it hard because... You know, let, let me just give you an example of the pressures. One of the hardest things for me is all the communications I receive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of mail and email, it's humanly impossible for me to answer. Now, I try. I try to prioritize, mm-hmm. but it piles up. I mean, yeah. it gets pretty, and it, it really becomes impossible. And then someone will get upset because after a month, they had written to me and they didn't hear back. Uh-huh. Well, I also have to travel around the diocese and visit parishes and you know there's just a lot of things that i can't answer all this so i feel that pressure and i try to okay and then i think okay i need to find time to answer some of this correspondence but you know what sometimes i just can't because Uh if i do then i'm going to neglect other important things like you know i have to prepare homilies Mm -hmm. i have to attend meetings 
I have, I want to visit parishes. I need to meet with my priests, all these things. And, and I, and I need to pray. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll cut out other things like rest or, you know, I won't get enough sleep or, and that's not good. (laughs) Right. Or I won't take a day off, you know, so I can try to catch up. So I imagine maybe some of the listeners struggle with that. You know, I struggle with it. So sometimes the pressures that come from outside Mm-hmm. create that workaholic kind of thing or, or or then lead to us getting out of balance. I know I have to always guard against that. Do you relate to that at all? Yeah, but also I, I see other people, friends, family members, whatever, that I see aren't even working that hard at work or to get a job or whatever, just kind of or you know, not showing up on time for a job and then they get fired or something. And you're like, come yeah. on, like get your act together. So I, I see both extremes. Yeah. And uh, it really, I think we need to look at where we are on that spectrum and how we can be more balanced and maybe try to find role models that are balanced and say like, hey, and this guy, he's got, he's taking care of his family. He's spending time, he's on vacation and being present with them. You know, how can I be more like that? You know? Yeah. You know, I think too, um, I find it that nowadays, especially, I mean, for me, a lot of it has to do with the communications, you know, this bombardment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's caused a lot of stress in people's lives. You know, like, like I'm not keen, for example, on text messages uh-huh. or excessive numbers of emails. Now, I realize it's a means of, that people like to communicate. But I look back, now I'm probably sounding very old, <laughs> but I look back of how how more relaxing life was when there wasn't all this communications bombardment. Now, yeah. do I sound like I'm an old man saying, I mean, I'm only 63, but I, I do find it um, more challenging today yeah. uh, with that instant communication. And people expecting your instant response. Right. Like that, that kind of pressure too. Yeah. Well, a, a couple of things also with this is one, I was thinking about, all of the saints that were in ministry, you know, they're, they're priests or sisters or brothers or popes and, or they're youth ministers, whatever. But St. Joseph being one of our greatest saints was a worker. He was the, the earthly father of Jesus and he, you know, had a day job, what we would call a secular job. And I think how interesting is that, that, Jesus wasn't the son of a rabbi trying to set that up as like, this is your model of what it means to be a parent is to be also a full-time minister of some sort, which God bless all those that are in full-time ministry. That's great. But it's great that we have an example like St. Joseph for all of those that are working the, the kind of regular secular day jobs and that, that that's not a lesser calling Right. To, to serve your family through that and to serve the community. You, you talked about the greater good and that your work should contribute to that. And I don't think that's just the money that we earn from that should, should be able to contribute to the greater good, but also the work itself contributes to the greater good. Is yeah. that right? Oh, I, I agree. I think it's uh, in God's providence, you know, that here we have this, this manual laborer, ordinary job, and he was the, the earthly father of Jesus. 
I, I think that's so good to show the dignity of all work because, you know, we can take for granted some a lot of workers in our society who maybe feel the value of what they're doing, mm -hmm. and yet it does have great value. I think of, you know, people who are taking care of, of lawns or people who are collecting trash or whose job is to in housekeeping mm -hmm. or, you know, and, and things like that, that maybe they're not making a whole lot of money, but mm -hmm. it their work really has dignity. And I mean, we take so many of those kind of workers for granted or the workers who put food on our table. Right. You know, I think of all the, like, for example, the immigrant workers who are working really hard in the fields, maybe in all kinds of weather, and it can be a little bit backbreaking and, but we're able to enjoy the fruits of their labors when we sit down at our table. So all all that human work we is uh, is important. So it's not just the the high paying jobs or the ones that are, for example, get a lot of of attention, but kind of the hidden hidden work you know that that goes on. I think is is really uh, really very important. So. Yeah, I think the church has always been on the side of workers, you mm -hmm. see, in history, and especially uh, seeking to defend the rights of workers to a just wage and all of those things, because really society needs to recognize uh, the value and, and of, of every person's work that serves the good of society. Well, and the whole dignity of the worker is probably a, a full episode in itself, and we have a bunch of listeners submitted questions today, but can you maybe briefly talk about what do you think, how are we doing as a society as far as giving workers their dignity? I mean, we've got examples of you know, sweatshops or you know, a lot of different factories in China that are, that are not treating their workers with dignity. Uh, in the United States, we have some fabulous examples of companies that are treating their workers with dignity and, and maybe some that aren't. What, how do you think we're doing on that and, and how can we improve? Well, I think in our country, probably it's a lot better than most countries of the world or at least in the developing countries. Obviously, you mentioned China where uh, some of the labor is, is kind of like slave labor. It's right. not, you know, and there's not a just wage. There's some places where there's child labor. And of course, because of the labor movement and the advocacy of the church, we have a lot of good laws to protect workers in our country, but we still have a ways to go. I mean, there's some people who aren't getting a wage that they should, a living wage. Mm -hmm. um, maybe peop some people who work full time and yet their wage isn't enough to support themselves and their family. So, so those are things that we have to look at. It, show, it talks about really we have to understand the, the responsibility of business and business owners for the well-being of their, of their workers. So all of these things, and of course, there's different political views about, about these matters as well. You know, for example, those who to value things like trades. I was talking to our high school principals a couple months ago about you know this expectation that we're preparing all of our our young people for college and of course I'm very pro college and university education I realize its importance. Yet there are some who who may not be destined to go to college sure. that there's yeah. there's dignified labor and I said do we have 
you know, ways to to help our students, young mm-hmm. people who who really are interested in a trade, which would sure. require some probably post high school education, but not necessarily a a college degree. Yeah, or maybe hands on training. You know, right? Like hands on apprenticeships. apprenticeships. Yep. And uh, so it's interesting. We do have that in, in our high schools where they they can uh, do some of that, which I was glad to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to have to value those that kind of uh, vocation as well, that kind of work as well. Yeah, like you said, this could be a whole nother episode talking yeah. about this issue of labor. And I find it very interesting, or even the relationship between labor and management and labor unions, all those things are... Um, you know, part of the so- church's social teaching. Yeah. I'm probably going to butcher this story. I should probably just save it for another episode, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's a story of this guy who was touring, I don't know, like NASA or something like that. And the guy's got his mop bucket out. He's like, well, what do you do here? And he says, I'm helping get a man to the moon. And he was a janitor. He was cleaning up. But to realize like what you are contributing to, you know, the the person that is, cleaning the sheets at the hospital is helping sick people get better. (laughs) You know, the person that's preparing a meal or taking out the trash or whatever, like it's all contributing to something much bigger than that. Yeah. And that we should never look down on somebody because of their occupation, you know, so long as it's contributing to, to the good. Right. I I suppose there's a few occupations that would not be, uh, right. (laughs) Honorable. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. I remember when I was going through high school and college, I had to work every summer. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. You know, I didn't have a car until I was 25. I mean, we just didn't, we didn't, for example, I didn't have a credit card. So, you know, there was no possibility of accumulating debt. As a matter of fact, in my family, I was raised like, no, if you don't have the money, you don't spend it kind of thing. So, (laughs) so it was a very different kind of world. Um, But you know what I learned? And I I learned the value. I learned to live in a thrifty way, Mm -hmm. but I also learned from those summer jobs where I was getting minimum wage. Not only did I learn the importance of work, but also manual work. Uh, And in some ways I miss that. You know, in some ways, there's a certain, I don't know, when you're closer to the earth, so to speak, I used to enjoy planting things. Uh-huh. And that wasn't my work, but that was something I did at home sometimes, plant, you know, vegetables and that. Uh, and I know we have a lot of farming families here in the diocese, uh, and I always enjoy when I visit some of our rural parishes mm-hmm. and talk to the farmers. And, and you know, there's something beautiful about working the earth. You know, I think of that kind of, of occupation as well. But even when I'm one summer, I just painted, you know, mm-hmm. and actually last summer I uh, did some painting. I had a couple days off and my cousin who's a painter came and, you know, the diocese has this house, Noel Hall on Lake Wawasee, and we did some painting there. Uh-huh. That was very like refreshing for yeah. me. Like I wasn't, you know, you know, using my mental uh, abilities so much. I was using more the physical uh-huh. and, that was that was fun yeah. for me. All right. Well, maybe we can talk about dignity and unions and all of that in a future episode. But if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You could call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. We have questions about the consecrated life, Mary's immaculate conception, and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. 
In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop who is going to be answering questions submitted by listeners like yourself. Our first listener submitted question is, I have been feeling called to consecrated life. However, I talk myself out of it because I have a sister who is mentally handicapped and will need to be cared for when my parents have passed away. I have three other siblings who are willing to help. However, I tend to shoulder a lot of the responsibilities myself. Am I sinning by not following this call? Any advice on how to discern what to do? That's a good question. I would answer that you're not sinning if you're not following the call because, you know, you mentioned that you're feeling called to consecrate a life, but one's feeling isn't enough. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why the question about discernment is is really most important because discernment is just not a matter of one's feelings, but also one's reason. So one in discernment, one is obviously praying to know God's will. And in discerning God's will, you, it, it's not separate from our life's circumstances. So that what I mean by that in this particular situation is, is having a mentally handicapped sister is part of one's life circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the need to care for her is important. So I think that's, uh, that's something that should be part of the discernment. So as one prays about this, one considers that, as well as the possible call to the consecrated life. Mm-hmm. And one looks at, okay, if I do enter a convent, for example, if a, a woman says, who will take care of my sister? Mm-hmm. In this situation, there are other siblings who are willing to help. There might be some kind of a group home that would be a good place for her sister. And then she would be free to pursue, you know, the consecrated life. Mm -hmm. So one would have to carefully think about it, pray about it. In some places in the world, because of the circumstances, there may not be anyone to care for that sister. There may not be, let's say if there were no siblings Mm -hmm. and there was not adequate care in uh, a group home or something because in a poor country they don't have places like that. Right. Then I think the person would would stay and take care mm-hmm. of their sister. So all those things have to be weighed. All those things have to be weighed. So I think if this call to the consecrated life is strong, that could be a sign that this is God's will. At the same time, one her responsibility to her sister is important and can she provide or make sure that her sister is properly cared for mm-hmm. if she would enter into a convent? Yeah. And at that point, um, it, it, you know, if that's true, then, yeah, one can go, go forward. Is it possible to do both? Is there any consecrated life yeah. opportunities that would also allow for some independence that you could take care of another person? That's a good question. Consecrated virgin. That's, you know, one form of consecrated life that isn't, doesn't require one to leave and mm-hmm. go to a religious community. Okay. 
So I'm glad you mentioned that. But most religious orders would Yeah, would you not. would have to live in community okay. and you'd have to go where you're sent, where the neat app you know, usually they're apostolic communities or a cloistered community. Obviously in a cloistered community you're you can't leave the cloister. It's a totally contemplative life. Mm-hmm. But even in an active religious community, there are responsibilities for apostolic works, teaching or nursing or whatever it might be. And it could require you know, significant physical distance from one's family. Would you recommend a spiritual director to a oh, person yeah. like this? Yeah. Anyone discerning religious life uh, and priesthood or priesthood, uh, spiritual direction can be a really important help. Okay. Another listener asked, why did Mary have to be immaculately conceived to bear Jesus, but Mary's mother didn't have to be immaculately conceived to bear Mary? Well, first of all, there are two two parts to that question, Kyle. Um, was it intrinsically necessary for the Blessed Virgin Mary to be immaculately conceived? Okay. I don't think so. It's just a bonus? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it was fitting. Okay. I mean, God could have become man, could have been born of of a woman not immaculately conceived. Okay. I mean, I, I think St. Thomas and others, Cardinal Newman, I, I think others have said that. The fact of the matter is, even though the immaculate conception wasn't absolutely necessary, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. That's how Jesus became flesh in the womb of Mary, who was immaculately conceived. Obviously, that was something very fitting, very suitable for the Son of God coming into the world. Mm -hmm. And it was by God's grace that Mary was immaculately conceived. But I don't think we could say that it was intrinsically necessary, because that would be limiting God uh, or absolutely necessary. That would kind of be saying that God couldn't have done it you know, otherwise. Now, it is important to realize when we think about the doctrine of the, of the Immaculate Conception that Mary was also saved by grace, by God's grace, by a special act at the moment of her conception. So she still was you know, saved. It was just different from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was saved at the moment of her uh, she was clean, uh, kept free from any taint of sin mm-hmm. from the first moment of her conception. The second part of that question, why Mary's mother didn't have to be immaculately conceived to bear Mary. Well, yeah, there would be the son did not become incarnate of of of, of his grandmother. Mm-hmm. He became incarnate within the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it's not something that was passed on. This sinlessness wasn't passed on genetically from Anne to Mary. No, this was a special intervention of God uh, at the moment of Mary's conception. It did not require that St. Anne had to be without sin. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this question, and I was kind of thinking of maybe an analogy of a nice, pretty gold tabernacle that's all clean that keeps Jesus' presence, the Eucharist, inside of it. You want that to be clean. If the gold tabernacle came from a mine, you know, it doesn't it doesn't follow that that tabernacle would then have to have come from a clean source, but right. anyway, I don't no. know if that's a No, and, but that analogy. even points to the first question. Jesus could be in, in the Eucharist, it could be that the tabernacle isn't clean. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but it's fitting that it be clean. Sure. So that gets to the first question yeah. again. So one of the things you said that we know that she was immaculately conceived, maybe this is a, another <laughs> question for a longer episode, but how do we know that? Well, it's a dogma of the church that's based on scripture and, 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 and tradition. So I think we did in an episode talk about the development of the doctrine of the immaculate, immaculate conception uh-huh. and why the church came to believe that Mary was sinless. But we could, I'm always happy to talk okay. about that. There, there are various scriptural allusions to it. It's not explicit in right. the Bible, but I would Full say of it's grace impl- being that's one of them, one. right? Also, this absolute enmity between the devil and the woman, mm. which we read about in the book of Genesis, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. Well, why is there this absolute enmity or hostility between Mary and the devil, it's because she was without sin. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's there's good scriptural indications, but also we believe the Holy Spirit guides the church. And from the earliest centuries, there was this belief in Mary's sinlessness. Mm-hmm. And St. Bernadette, Fatima, there's all kinds of different right. things to talk about. Okay. Next up, why are there two versions of the glory be? Well, there are two different translations. Um, It might be helpful. Uh, Obviously, the common one that that we say is, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. The other version that we say when we pray the liturgy of the hours Uh was the translation was changed couple decades ago. I think it was back in the 70s. But in any case, we say, uh, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. So in the one case, we say, ever shall be world without end. And then it was shortened to be, and will be forever. Okay. So we go back to the Latin, okay, because that's the official text. And the Latin says, Gloria al Padre. Oh, now I'm saying it in Spanish. Wait a second. <laughs> oh, the Latin ending is, Sicut erat in principio, as it was in the beginning. Okay. Et nunc, and now. Et semper, and always. Et in secula seculorum. And unto the ages of ages. I kind of like that better than the other two. Yeah. I mean, that would be the literal. That would be the literal translation. Unto the ages of ages. Always and unto the ages of ages. I I like that better than world without end. Because what what does that mean? That the world's not going to end? I know. I know. Well, when you look at it, both English translations are inexact. Mm -hmm. Because it says in the Latin, is now, is always, and unto ages of ages. Yeah. And we say, world without end. Well, that's not what the Latin says. (laughs) Unto the ages of ages is what the Latin says. Now, if you shorten it and just say, and will be forever, that's kind of what the Latin says, semper, always. Mm -hmm. But then it just cuts out the unto ages of ages, I think. Yeah. Because you're basically saying, and always. It's a little redundant. Yeah. 
So what was the question? <laughs> Why are there two versions? Yeah. Well, just because there are two ways of translating it, neither of which is exact. <laughs> you, would you like us to say, to go to an exact translation? I'm just trying to think if I, we would I like that. like the ages and ages. Yeah, glory be to the Father. Epic. Let's just think of how that would sound. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and always, and unto ages of ages. I like it. Yeah. Is there a petition Should I can sign? Should we write or? to Pope Francis and ask him, or the Congregation for Divine Worship? I think so. You know, it's interesting because we had to do these more, you know, this last revision right. of the prayers of the of the Mass, a more literal translation of the Latin. Yep. I wonder, well, the Gloria doesn't really come up at Mass, but right. in Latin, in our prayers, that would be something to consider. There you go. We could start a petition, Kyle. When's the next USCCB meeting? June. There you go. Put it on the agenda. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got more questions, but we'll have to save them for a future episode. But if you have questions, shoot us a text. The Holy Cross College text line is 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer on a future episode, you can submit it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.